We have a number of nurses in the Fargo Baptist Church, a lot of them sitting here today. We have several doctors, MDs, and these are good physicians. But today, well, I'd like to talk about the great physician. I think we all know who he is. We've been going through the book of Mark, and we're in a series just embarking upon it, and we're going to look at it verse by verse. And today, we find here in chapter 1 the great physician. He not only meets physical needs as he did then, but spiritual ones. He heals our souls. Thank God for that. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the Gospel of Mark and the first chapter, Mark chapter 1. We have a number of nurses in the Fargo Baptist Church, a lot of them sitting here today. We have several doctors, MDs, and these are good physicians. But today, well, I'd like to talk about the great physician. I think we all know who he is. We've been going through the book of Mark, and we're in a series just embarking upon it. And we're going to look at it verse by verse. And today, we find here in chapter 1, the great physician. Let's pick it up in verse number 23. It says, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon or at once they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. We find here in action the one we know to be the great physician. We'll be talking about him today, but let's pray before we begin. Our Father, we come before thee. We thank you for this glorious passage. We thank you for these moments now that we have to look into the Word of God and be blessed and helped and strengthened and encouraged, but most of all to fall more in love with our precious Savior, our great physician. May he be lifted up and exalted at this time. We pray and ask it all now in his precious name. Amen. Well, it was a Saturday, and the place was Capernaum, and the people that were gathered there, well, they were amazed. Amazed at this one they had never heard from before, this new prophet, right from Galilee there, Jesus of Nazareth. He taught as one who had authority, something they hadn't heard for quite a while. In fact, notice in verse 22 here, it says, and they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. 
He taught them with authority. It's a big word in the Greek. I'll try and pronounce it. Exousia. It means jurisdiction. Authority. It means prerogative. Jesus Christ taught with clarity. He taught with conviction. And he taught with contrast. I mean, he was totally different than the rabbis. The rabbis would teach every Saturday quoting this rabbi and that rabbi who quoted that rabbi who quoted that rabbi. He called it a rabbi trail after the message last week. I thought that was pretty good anyway. But they, they had this rabbi trail that they were always on as they were trying to teach the Word of God. But when Jesus Christ got up and taught, it was profound and it was, it was piercing. It was with authority. It wasn't arbitrary. Thus saith the Lord. It was absolute. It was logical. It was concrete. That's how he taught. Verse 22 tells us here that he taught them with authority, not as did the scribes. The scribes. Who were the scribes? Well, the scribes can be traced back as far as I can figure to about 450 B.C., the time of Nehemiah and the time of Ezra. There were scribes before then that they were just transcribers. They worked for the king. They, they just wrote down what he had to say. But spiritually speaking, scribes came about as far as we would know during the exile. A scribe was somebody who would take the word of God. Of course, they didn't have the printing press before Gutenberg. They didn't have means of printing it like we print it today. It had to be hand copied, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. It was, it was very painstaking work. It was done with precision. A scribe would take quill in hand and he would copy from this copy the word of God. You say, well, something would get lost in the translation. No, it wouldn't. God had promised it would not get lost. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls going back a couple hundred years even before the time of Christ, found in the 40s, and they, they line up with our Bible exactly. Those scribes did their job. Well, we find out that the scribes were there that day, and the scribes went back, as far as we know, to Ezra. In fact, the first mention spiritually of a scribe we find is in Ezra 7 and verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. Now, he not only copied the Scriptures, but you learn something as you're copying it over and over again. He knew the Pentateuch. He knew the Torah. He knew the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, like the back of his hand. And, and a scribe in those days was to read the passage and then explain it to the people. Well, they would spend all day, or at least until mid-afternoon at the synagogue there, and the scribes would explain the Word of God. They were called rabbis. Rabbi means honored one. They were revered amongst the people. They were elevated as rabbis. And for over 400 years since the time of Ezra, they had been doing that. But something had happened over those centuries, and they had shifted. They had stopped quoting the Bible, teaching the Bible, and started quoting other rabbis and teaching from commentaries as they were. And, and this rabbi said that, which said that, which said that. Folks, let's not be so interested in what some preacher says, some, some uh, reverend or rabbi big bottom has to say about his opinion. What does the Bible say? We want to go back to the Scripture here. And so these rabbis back at that time, they had reduced the truth to allegories, mystical stuff and obscurities and so on. And along comes Jesus Christ. He speaks with authority. The people are stunned. They're amazed. They're astonished. Verse number 22 tells us here that they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. What a slam there. What Jesus Christ had to say was astonishing. And it was, it was riveting. And it was, it was powerful. And in time, the scribes get really jealous of him. 
We read in Luke 19.47 that he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do for... Notice, all the people were very attentive to him. When Christ got up and he spoke with authority, you could have heard a pin drop. People listened. And so he's teaching doctrine, and it's amazing. But now he's going to add to that miracles and healing. And we find him now as the great physician. As we look at the great physician today, we find here just a few things. As we look at this passage here, we see, first of all, what I call the afflicted man. The afflicted man. Notice in verse 23, it says, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Can you picture this? Jesus Christ is teaching in the synagogue there in Capernaum. The people are amazed, they're astonished. He gets done teaching, you can hear a pin drop, and all of a sudden there's this shriek, there's this scream. There's this guy who cries out, let us alone. We know who you are. Now, I, I read that earlier this week, and I thought to myself, what in the devil was the devil doing in church? <laughs> this is a synagogue. It's supposed to be God's house here. And here's this guy there. He's incognito, but he's demon-possessed. And as he listened to the message here, the devils inside of him panicked. And they just couldn't hold it in anymore. And the mask clips, and, and, and the facade is over, the masquerade is over, and the man screams because he's demon-possessed there. The truth is brought to the surface. Why? Because the truth made that man very, very uncomfortable. By the way, truth will make you uncomfortable. There's a lot of places you can go and be taught Bible or taught some kind of religious ceremony, and you can sit there comfortably and, and not be riled at all. But let me tell you something. The truth will make you mad, sad, or glad. It will shake you up. It's possible to sit in a dead church. It's possible to sit in some cult for years even and not get riled. But when you get under the sound of the truth, it's going to stir you up. We had a fellow years ago who came here, and he wasn't saved. He was lost. And he's a good friend of mine now. But he said, Pastor, I used to leave every Sunday morning with a headache. He goes, man, I tell you, you just stepped all over my toes and so on. Well, it's either a headache or a heartache. But, but if you're not saved and you hear the truth, it's going to rile you up. We have testimony sometimes. We had them <clears throat> this last week uh, with the baptisms that we had of some people who were religious and they were churchgoers and, and they had been baptized and they took communion, but they were never born again. They were never saved. And they talked about how when they got under the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, God began to eat their lunch. And God will do that. Here's this guy sitting in church, and he's heard all these sermons about this rabbi saying this and that rabbi saying that. But Christ comes in, and he says, Thus saith the Lord... Holy cow. I mean, now he's under conviction, and it's welling, and it's building, and all of a sudden, the sermon stops, and he shrieks out. Why? Because he's lost. He's never been born again. If you don't gravitate to the truth, if you don't love the truth, if you leave mad going, oh, that place is too strict and too narrow and too legalistic, you might be telling on yourself. This guy told on himself. He didn't love the truth because he had never been born again. He was spiritually dead. The author of the truth was not living inside of him. And as a result, it was repelling to him. It was repulsive to him. And he shrieks, have you been saved? Have you been born again the Bible way? Can you point to a time in your life when you realized you were a sinner and a serious sinner and God is serious about sin? He doesn't sweep it under the carpet. 
and that Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross and he shed blood to pay for that sin, and you were sorry for that sin, it's called repentance in the Bible, and you turned to Christ and placed all your trust in him, it's called faith in the Bible, and with the Siamese twins of salvation, repentance and faith, you called upon the Lord and you were born again the Bible way. If you were to die today, friend, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Because you can know for sure. The Bible says these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that? Or do you hear the truth and, and uh, you say, no, that's, that's uh, too blunt, that's too straightforward, that's too, uh, too honest? You know, the person who gives you the truth is your best friend. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The, the preacher who stands up and tells you, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, we're all going to heaven. Pretty much everyone's going to heaven except just a few, maybe Hitler, Mussolini, those mafia guys, you know. But pretty much everybody else, we're going to heaven. No, Christ comes along and he says the road to, to hell is broad and wide. Many are on it. The road to heaven is straight and narrow and few there be that find it. And faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The best thing to ever happen, to ever walk in to that synagogue in Capernaum, was the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, did they need a breath of fresh air in there after all those stale sermons over all those years here. And so here's this this lost hypocrite. Let's just call him what he is. And week after week, the rabbis say, I'm okay, you're okay, and so on and so forth. And rabbi says this, who says that, who says that. And then Christ comes in and he says, this is the truth. This is the truth. And this guy goes, yikes! The demons go, yikes! It's like truth serum. It it, it comes to the surface here, and now everybody knows this guy's lost. You say, Pastor, could there really be demons in a synagogue? Could there really be demons in a church? Certainly. In, In a false one? Especially. In an unscriptural one? Especially. You say, well, Pastor, how do you know? Well, here's how you know. Isaiah 8.20 says, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, is because there is no light in them. If what they have to say does not line up with the Bible, it's a lie. And don't underestimate Satan. He is the father of life. You say, Pastor, do you really believe in Satan? That's another thing. Do you really believe in the devil? Well, I believe in the devil as much as I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here they are, having an encounter in a synagogue in in Capernaum at the same time. Don't tell me the devil's not real, or you'd have to tell me Christ isn't real. Here's Christ encountering the devil. And don't underestimate the devil. The devil is in the middle of false religion. As much as he was in the first century there, so is he yet today in the 21st century. Are all denominations and all religions and all churches okay? No. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Notice the devil comes across as the good guy, the white hat, and it's no big thing then if his, his ministers come across in the same way. Notice the expression, his ministers. Could you imagine somebody, a man of the cloth, a clergyman, a minister, actually not working for God like he thinks, but actually working for the devil? The Bible mentions his 
ministers, teaching error week after week, the blind leading the blind, as the Lord Jesus Christ called it, especially in these last days, these final hours. We read this in 1 Timothy 4.1, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. A lot of lies going on out there. Jesus Christ comes along and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the truth. That's what Christ said. There's no other way to heaven but through the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil comes along and he says, oh, don't worry. There are a lot of different ways. It's kind of like the spokes on a bicycle wheel, just all meeting in the middle. That's kind of how you get to God. The devil's a liar. This is what Christ had to say about the devil. In John 8, 44, he said, The devil abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar. Notice there's not an ounce of truth in him. He is one big liar, and he is a deceiver. He's deceitful, and he's deceiving people, and he uses false religion. You know, the devil is still lying to the masses. And something can look religious. You can see the clergyman up there with the pursed lips and the hands folded and the, the gown on and the flactories and, and the, the stained glass and the crosses and, and all that stuff, the incense and so on. And, and, and you could say, whoa, that's religious. That's of God. Is it? Is it? How do we know? Well, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. That's how we can distinguish truth from error. You say, well, don't you just have to believe in God, Pastor? Well, James 2.19 says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Don't you just have to believe in God? Well, the devils believe. The demons even believe in God and tremble before Him. But they're not going to heaven. You know, in the Bible, when it comes to demon possession, we don't find it mentioned in the Old Testament. Have you ever noticed that? I find that interesting. Uh, You find it twice mentioned in the book of Acts. You find it mentioned a bunch of times in the Gospels. Why would that be? Well, because you find Christ in the Gospels. And here's the Son of God continually encountering these demons. Who are demons? What are demons? Demons are fallen angels. Originally, as far as we know, uh, God created everything good, but Satan, or Lucifer as he was known at that time, rebelled against God. And he took with him one-third of heaven's angels. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. We don't know how many, but there are a bunch. You can read all about it in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And here's some demons now. Christ is walking the earth. These demons are possessing a man, and they recognize him as their master. Notice in verse number 24 here, it says, uh, the demon said, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. They recognize Jesus Christ as the Holy One of God. Do we recognize Him as the Son of God, the Holy One of God? He is the Holy One. That can't be said of any other religious world leader. Jesus Christ is the Holy One. Christ said this in Psalm 16.10. I love this. He said, For thou, talking to the Heavenly Father, will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. He prophetically speaks a thousand years before he walked this earth, and he said, Father, you won't leave my body in that grave. You won't uh, suffer, allow me to suffer corruption. But he calls himself the Holy One. 
Why? Because he is the Holy One. Now notice something else in verse 24 interesting. Here's what the demons say. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee? You know what that means? The plurality there means this man was demon-possessed, but not just one demon. There were a number of demons in there. And they're crying out, they're shrieking, they're screaming. They're terrified. Why? Well, they understand something. You know what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 8? It says, The devil sinneth from the beginning. And for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know why they're shook? It's their worst nightmare. Jesus Christ has come to this earth to destroy the works of the devil. And they're thinking, this could be our final hour here. Because the devils know their ultimate end. What is their ultimate end? The lake of fire. The, the, the place called hell, though many people will go there, was not originally prepared for, for, for humans. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Christ told us that. And the devils know their ultimate end. We read this in Matthew eight twenty nine. And behold, they, the demons, cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? They know they're going to hell eventually. They said, Have you come to torment us before that time? They know their ultimate end, and that would explain this outburst here. And the man here could not hide the fact that he was demon-possessed. It all came out. Well, Christ was unfazed by it. Notice in verse 25, And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. With the same power he used to cast the devils out of heaven, he cast the devils out of these, this demon-possessed man now. And by the way, with that same power, he will cast those fallen angels into hell one day with the unsaved. Now notice, notice verse 26. It says, And when the unclean spirit had torn him, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. There's thrashing, there's screaming, there's convulsions. Why? Because this, these devils didn't want to go. There you see the rebellion there. You see their objection there. They didn't want to obey, but they had no choice because they were no match. We find here the afflicted man. Secondly, we find here the amazed masses. In verse 27, it says, And they were all amazed. Insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Folks, the power was unmistakable. Oh, I'd have loved to have been there. Now, here's these folks, and they've already been amazed by his teaching. I mean, their, their jaws are on the ground after he gets done teaching. Now he turns around, he starts slinging demons out of people, and the buzz begins. The last part of verse number 27, they're saying, With authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Can you imagine the excited chatter here? Can you imagine here? No denying is this, this buzz spreads now. The, the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is about to launch out. Notice in verse number 28. It says, And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. He's getting famous now. Why? Because he had taught like no, no other rabbi had ever taught before. In fact, we read in John seven forty six, they sent some soldiers to get him, and the officers returned and answered, Never man spake like this man. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard anything like this. I would have loved to have sat under a sermon of Jesus Christ. 
I, I can only imagine what it would have been like. Never man spake like this man, but now he's adding miracles to it. We read in Mark 7.37 that they were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He did everything perfect, including rising from the dead, which set him apart from any or all so-called religious gurus who claim to be saviors of the world. Let's see him do what Jesus did. So the demons recognized, and they were terrified of him. The crowds recognized him, and they were amazed by him. The demons believed in him, and yet they were not saved. The people rejected him and died lost. And by the way, these folks in Capernaum, to die lost and go to hell as a resident of Capernaum in those days, you had no excuse. And yet we find that there are many who did not accept Jesus Christ from Capernaum. And later on, we're going to find Christ say this in Matthew eleven twenty three. He says, Thou Capernaum, which art exalted into heaven, that means prideful, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So hell's going to be hotter for the inhabitants of Capernaum than even those of Sodom. Why? Because they had more light. They had the Son of God in the midst of them, no less. And they missed it. They thought he was some, a great speaker, some great miracle worker, some great social worker. But the, their conclusion was inadequate. He was the Son of God. The demons figured it out. You're the Son of God. They never figured it out. We've seen the afflicted man, the amazed masses. But thirdly, we see this ailing mother, this sickly mother-in-law here. In verse 29, it says, And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, it was a typical Saturday there in, in Israel. Since Friday evening, they'd been observing the Sabbath. Saturday morning, they go to the synagogue. And normally things would end there early afternoon, and, and they would head home for a bite. Everybody was dismissed. Well, remember this. We saw this earlier, that Christ had four fishermen following him already, right? And they were James and John, and they were Andrew and Simon Peter. And can you imagine the chattering between those four fishermen? Now, their first big outing with their, their new leader here. And boy, I'm sure they were just abuzz with everything going on. They had a front row seat to it here. The last part of verse 29 says that they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. When I was in the Holy Land, it's been 30 years almost, there's a place, and some of you who've been to the Holy Land there in Capernaum know that house I'm talking about. When it was excavated, they found out it was near the synagogue. It was a fisherman's uh, hut or, or, or stone house, and there, were, there was Christian stuff all over it. Just, just signs that it had been an early place where they had held church services. And logically, very logically, maybe it was Peter's house where they held those early church services. Now, all that day, we find this in, in uh, verse 29, that after they had listened to everything, they entered into his house. But on that day in verse 30, it says, But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. Notice again, Simon's wife's mother was sick. You say, Pastor, was Peter married? Yes, Peter was married. You say, but Pastor, I, I thought he was the first pope. No, Peter was a preacher, a biblical preacher, just like Emwa, 
who uh, basically had a wife, like every, every pastor is supposed to, according to verse Tim, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. You know, Peter would have been crazy to have a mother-in-law and not have a wife. You know what I mean? So, yeah, he did have a wife. And, and you say, well, pastor, she must have died or, you know, left him or whatever for him to go on and serve the Lord in the ministry. No, that's not true at all. We find this written... 25, I think over 25 years later on, Peter was still married. Paul makes reference to it in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. He says, Have we not power to lead a wife as well as other apostles? And as the brethren, the brothers and, the brothers and sisters, the brothers of the Lord, notice, and Cephas, another name for Peter. Peter had a wife even 25 years later. Now, here in verse 30, we find out that Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And anon, they tell him of her. She's sick. We find this ailing mother. Folks, we live in this world. It's, it's cursed. Ever since the fall of mankind, we know there's disease and there's sickness. It wasn't that way originally. When God created everything originally, in Genesis 1.31, it says, God made everything, or saw everything that was made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Six-day creation is given in the Bible. tells us that when God got finished, He looked down and He said, It is very good. No flaws, no blemishes, uh, no disease. So why sickness? Well, you know about the fall of man. You know about the curse that came upon the world. And, and disease and sickness is a part, it's a continual reminder of the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world and we live on a fallen planet. Now, Jesus Christ healed people when he came to this earth, but that's not why he came. We see in this verse behind me why he came. We find in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Christ came. You know, there's a lot of religiosity that puts the emphasis on Christ the miracle worker. No, he's Christ the Savior. He's the one who shed blood because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission of sins. And he came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. Have you been saved by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by placing your trust and your faith in that? Now, Christ healed people. That was a byproduct. But let me just say this. It may or it may not be God's will for you to be healed. I hear a lot of people and they say, well, if there is a God, why is there so much sickness and and disease in this world, because we live in a sin-sick, sin-cursed world. And sometimes it might be God's will for somebody to be healed, sometimes it might not. The great apostle Paul had a physical infirmity. And he had three seasons of prayer and fasting and begging God to take it away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. It was God's will for for Paul to suffer. Well, here we find Peter's mother-in-law suffering. By the way, Peter must have been a great Christian if he wanted his mother-in-law healed. Amen? Now, there's another thought about him. She's extremely ill. The Jews were a hardy folk. And uh, they weren't one to, you know, sit around like hypochondriacs talking about their, their hangnail here. I mean, they just, they just plowed through it. So if she's sick here, she's really sick. And so after Peter witnessing the power of Christ in the synagogue, the light bulb comes on, the wheels are turning, and he goes, hmm, I wonder if he could do that for Uh, My mother-in-law here, in verse 31, we find out, And he, Christ, came and took her, the mother-in-law, by the hand, and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Notice, immediately 
and completely she's healed. Completely healed. Permanently healed. Not like the so-called faith healers or the fake healers of today who are exhorting people uh, with, with uh, taking money from desperate people and exhorting funds from them. This woman is healed completely. And the result at the last part of verse 31 says she arose and ministered. Boy, there's a whole sermon there. When, when we get the touch of the Savior on our, our lives and we are healed spiritually, we ought to arise and minister. He didn't tell this, dear lady, now you, you've been uh, having it rough. Take a few days. Take it easy. No, he let her. She got up, she arose, and immediately ministered. Folks, we were saved to minister. If you're a Christian sitting here today, we're not saved to sit and sulk and sour. We are saved to serve. And when, when we get saved, we ought to arise and minister and go serve the Lord. We're healed to serve. Well, we've seen the afflicted man. We've seen the amazed masses. We've seen the ailing mother. Finally, we see the anxious mob. In verse 32, it says, And an even... When the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. What a scene. Here's the great physician in town, and everybody's showing up. The word is spread, and it's, it's triggered this anxious mob here. This, this throng of people here. It's city-wide. It's area-wide. And they're, they're coming to see the Savior. Now, I believe that they waited until 6 o'clock that night. In fact, you might have noticed it says in verse 32, at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased. You say, well, why is that? Because it was the Jewish Sabbath, and you couldn't carry anyone, even as badly as you wanted them to be healed, you couldn't work on the Sabbath. They had really taken that to an extreme. So they're just all waiting. They're, they're watching their watches here. And, and finally, it's 6 o'clock. The Sabbath is over, and there's this mad rush. There's this stream of people to go get some healing. I'd have been one of them. You'd have been one of them if you had a problem. In verse number 34, it says, And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered or allowed not the devils to speak because they knew him. He had had enough endorsement from the devil for one day at that time. And there's, there's hundreds of people probably healed. This is just one night of his ministry. I'm sure you'd have been there. I would have been there. You know, there are over 90 examples in the, the four gospel texts of people being healed and healing taking place. This man was the great physician. We find him here healing. Now, you say, Pastor, are there still faith healers today? Well, let me just say this. There are fake healers, but I don't believe there are faith healers. Now, I believe that scripturally speaking, James talks about if you have an infirmity, that the, the elders of the church can pray over you, anoint you with oil, and so kind, that kind of thing. But, but the faith healing thing, the healing, the miracle of it, I believe, ended in the apostolic days. Today, we don't pursue signs and wonders like that. We don't need them. We have a completed Bible. And when that which is perfect has come, 1 Corinthians 13, speaking of the Bible, that which is in part should be done away with, all the sign gifts. And so today, the just shall live by what? Faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. In fact, what serves not of faith is sin, right? So we go by the Word of God. Otherwise, it's a free-for-all. Anybody can claim to have something from God and could be a false prophet. You know, there are a lot of uh, those who are into the signs and the wonders. But notice in Matthew 16, 4, Christ said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Now, Back to the, 
great physician here. Jesus Christ sympathized with those who were hurting. In fact, those who were suffering, he had a, a heart for. We find in Matthew eight seventeen, it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself, Christ, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So he took upon himself the infirmities of the people. There's something else I observe here, and that is this. Jesus Christ grieved. He grieved over the cause of sickness. You say, well, it's disease. No, no, it's sin. Remember when Christ raised Lazarus from the dead? Before he raised him from the dead, he wept. You say, well, why? He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. I think because he he was thinking in his heart of what sin had done to this world. The disease and the death and everything that comes with the curse here. And so we find out that he grieved over the cause of of sinfulness and that sickness. Jesus Christ cares. We find out here, and a lot of people ask that, doesn't God care? Yeah, our Savior cares here. Finally, we know this, that the great physician died to banish disease. He died to banish disease totally one day. One day we will have glorified bodies as born-again Christians. There will be no sickness. I love this passage in Romans 8.22. The Bible says, Now the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Are you tired of that old carcass aching and and getting hard to drag around and get out of bed and giving you problems and headaches and backaches and, and bunions and every other kind of problem imaginable? Well, the Bible says we can groan now. Why? Waiting for the redemption of our bodies. But we have a glorious promise in the future. Revelation 21.4 says that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there should be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. I look forward to that day, don't you? Neither shall there be any more pain. For all those who put their faith, for all those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, for all those who have been born again, we have a glorified body awaiting us. What a Savior. What a ministry. What power. What authority this great physician had. He, uh, he not only meets physical needs as he did then, but spiritual ones. He heals our souls. Thank God for that. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.